Welcome to Pilot Boys episode 88. Today we're going to talk about the NBA playoffs and we have a bunch of dirt on that. Some new coaching changes in the NBA plus some old coaches that are stepping it up. There was a condo in Miami that collapsed recently. We're going to dig into that and talk a little trash on Miami. And finally, Facebook won big against the FTC in a whole bunch of antitrust lawsuits. So we're going to get into a little bit of data privacy. Finally, our deep dive today is on hacking society and the different ways you can think about how you present yourself to be able to find success in society without losing authenticity or happiness. So stay tuned. This deep dive is a good one. Welcome to Pilot Boys, episode 88. Buckle your seatbelts. Pilot Boys are about to take off. Welcome to the Pilot Boys podcast, where you will get the reel on all things sports, music, and pop culture. And here are your hosts, Vishwant and Partha. Pilot Boys in the building, episode 88. Something about that number I've always liked, man. Yeah, dude. Repeating numbers are everything. That's how they tell, that's how you can tell you're on the right path in life. And if you, and if you just, you know, turn them, it turns to infinity and infinity. Yeah. To infinity yeah. and beyond we go. Let's get into this episode. <laughs> <laughs> so we got a lot of uh, news topics today that we're going to go through and uh, a deep dive coming up uh, for, for everybody you know, who's curious, the deep dive is about um, societal structure and hacking it. Yes, we get I'm deeper later. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, hacking culture, is a, it's a more interesting way to frame what we talk about. Yeah. I mean, it's also how we kind of approach life, right? We're always looking for, for the hacks. Yeah, exactly. So let's start with the NBA. Man, what an interesting playoffs. So, you know, two two sides of, of the coin here. We've got um, Atlanta and Milwaukee in the East. Uh, Atlanta, you know, may probably get eliminated very soon here. Um, but much respect to that team and everything that they're doing. Much respect to Trey Young for putting on just heroic performance after heroic performance. I think, you know, I, I speak for a lot of people when I say not only was it a pleasant surprise to see a team without any sort of major stars make it this far, uh, but the grit with which they played, you know, anybody from Atlanta should be extremely proud to be, you know, supporting that team and, and to be represented by them. Yeah, fill the stadium next season during the regular season, Atlanta yeah. fans. That's always been kind of the thing with Atlanta and Miami teams. It seems like people support them, but <laughs> they have trouble filling their stadiums. What's up yeah. with that, man? Why is that? So everyone's at the strip club. <laughs> even the players it's <laughs> <laughs> better at magic city i guess yeah you need exactly. to put a magic city in uh in state farm arena and maybe it will it will it'll help <laughs> exactly but and I then mean, this, go, yeah, ahead, go ahead oh i was just gonna say on the other side we've got you know the clippers and the suns in just an amazing battle right now. It's a totally different game in, in the Western Conference and the East. The East is just a story of um, honestly just different levels of skill on both yeah. teams, which you, you can't really fight. Uh, but in the West, you have a coaching battle going on. Yeah. It's a, a fascinating coaching battle given the fact that Kawhi Leonard has been sidelined for the series. Yeah, I think Teron Liu has earned a lot of respect. Um, 
through this series. Uh, and a lot of respect, quite frankly, that I was not giving him during his time in Cleveland. And I think sometimes growth is important, right? And I think you see the maturity um, that he's shown as a coach. And I think it also showcases because he played for those Lakers teams. He went through that championship run with Cleveland because his most special quality is the fact that he doesn't get frazzled under pressure. Um, three, one lead two one lead. There's actually a, a stat put out that says that he has the best winning percentage of any coach in elimination games, um, in NBA history, which is freaking unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, it's one of those stats, you know, it's like, you got to be in the elimination games. Like why yeah. are you even, even there? <laughs> why are you there so much? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I mean, you look at somebody like his coaching mentor, Doc Rivers, you know, the heat was on him because they're like, why would you just hire the lead assistant off of after you fire the coach and you're seeing the difference? Yeah. Players respond to him. And you're also seeing this happen now. If you look at the coaching hires that happened in the last week, suddenly everybody's hiring point guards to be their head coach. You yeah. Know? And it, it, it's known that in sports, it's a copycat league, but it's not by accident that people are seeing what's happening in Phoenix, what's happening with the Clippers organization and, and trying to replicate that to some degree. Yeah. I think the other thing too is, you know, you get the same juice as Doc Rivers had with Ty Lue, but you get a different taste of it. Like if somebody's, you know, first, first, uh, I, uh, what second in command, I would say, right. Yeah. Their demeanor, their attitude, the way that they approach things is usually very different than the person who's leading the charge. And so bringing Ty Lue in preserves the same type of culture, but it adds intensity because usually there's a little bit of, you know, chip on your shoulder when that person steps into the bigger role, which, you know, for Doc Rivers, no disrespect to him. Um, but I mean, he's had a storied history as a coach, you know, there's there's not much pressure on him to yeah. have to win a championship. But for Ty Lue, there's a ton of pressure. Yeah. And it's showing, you know, and I think also um, watching Steve Ballmer on the sidelines, you wonder how the hell was this guy, the CEO of Microsoft for so long. But, you know, maybe this was it. He knew how to hire the right people, you know? Yeah. And put yeah, hundred percent. Right positions, you know, and and maybe that was his, his his primary skill, and, and why he held down that job, and why he was named the CEO after Steve Jobs left. Yeah, and you know, too many CEOs try to do too much. Like being yeah. being a great leader is about empowering great leaders. It's not about anything anything but that, because no problem can be solved by yourself. Yeah, it, no no problem can be, and also it's like. Uh, it's also creating an environment um, in which there's communication and there's no king of the castle. And I think that happens a lot of times in sports organizations and in most organizations where when people get power, they want uh, people to respect them. You can get respect while still empowering other people and respecting them. Absolutely. Uh, you want to talk about uh, Giannis just balling out? Yeah, I just love Giannis, man. Everything about that guy. It's like he's very happy and appreciative of where he's at and what he's received. Um, he's able to poke fun at himself. You know, the viral clip that went out talking about, uh, <laughs> about look, <laughs> I've seen it all about his free throw shooting. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, 
just that attitude, that's the significant difference between him and a Ben Simmons. This is a guy who does not get in his own head. It's clear he doesn't. He can yeah. airball on the next time, come back and shoot the same shot. Like He's not someone that overthinks things and is able to play naturally and has essentially a, a, a he forgets things very quickly. It's short-term, it's things that happen, happen in that moment and he stays present in the next moment. Yeah. Um, and that is one of the things um, when you want to explain why is Giannis so good, the guy can't shoot, the guy can't do certain things. The same criticism Ben Simmons, quite frankly, Ben Simmons has. But the difference is the attitude that Giannis plays with and the energy he plays with consistently makes sure good things happen because you just keep working. It's just like in business. You keep chopping wood. If you take a moment and feel sorry for yourself, take a moment and think, oh, well, why am I shooting? Like, you just got to keep moving forward. And that's what I love about Giannis. Everything yeah. About him. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think there's something powerful about being able to just move past a mistake and keep going with full intensity and full confidence. And it's like, I, I notice like for myself, I'm sure a lot of people feel this way. Growing up, um, you may or may not be somebody who overthinks when something goes wrong, right? But it's usually other people that start to cause you to overthink. They want to just continually bring up your own mistakes to you, right? Yep. And like as a kid, you think that's normal and you think something's wrong with you. And when you become an adult, you're like, do you have nothing better to do than to worry about what I'm doing all of the time? Like, go live your own life. Leave me alone. Right. Yeah. And it's like that attitude is so it's so impressive with Giannis where he's like, yeah, I missed it. I don't care. Like, I'll shoot another one, you know? Yeah. And he's yeah. shooting, like you said, last last podcast, so what, six to eight threes per game. Like and he doesn't make most of them. Right. But he still keeps shooting them because he knows it stretches the floor and and it's part of his game and what he wants to play it and you know whether it's good or bad is is you know anyone's guess but it's his choice to play the game that way you know what I mean and it's like I I highly respect people who have the ability to make their own choices for themselves and not worry about what others think it's a very hard thing to do and when you get there you have a tremendous amount of power because all of a sudden there's nothing between you you deciding I want to do this and it happening in front of you, right? Like it's purely your decision. The second you get that much of the bullshit out of the way between your intention and the action, you're you're incredibly powerful as a person. And Giannis definitely has that. And and also it's, you know, we talked about last week about picking the environment that's best suited for you. People are questioning why he stayed in Milwaukee. Probably because he didn't want to deal with all the bullshit that comes with playing in a market like LA or New York, because yeah. he can fully be himself in that community and in that locker room. And he's okay with the results. Um, he would rather have that than go somewhere and, and maybe put yourself in a better chance to win a championship. Even he understands that this is the best environment for his personality type. And they're one game away from entering the finals. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yep. Man, shout out Giannis. It honestly, man, I gotta say it. I was kind of a Giannis hater up until now. And I feel bad that I was a hater. So I gotta own up to it and say now I'm a Giannis fan. I flipped. You're not you're not the only one. I have critiques of his game, but um at the end of the day, effort you get he gets an A plus plus for effort every night. Yeah. You know. And Giannis the person is a is a freaking great guy, man. He's yeah. super, super funny, super down to earth. 
Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you saw the TikTok of the guy, uh, the guy that goes around and asks people what they do for a living. Oh, I didn't. He did Giannis. Yeah, he did Giannis, and Giannis was, I forget what he said, but uh, oh, he said he he trades Bitcoin. That's what he said. <laughs> man, I mean, he's just a he's a kid having fun, man, and like, who doesn't like to see that? Yeah, we take ourselves too seriously. It's great to it's great to great to see good energy. It's going to be interesting. I'm going to be torn if him and the Suns, if the Bucks and the Suns, on who I want to win that championship because with the team Brooklyn has, I don't know if Giannis is going to get another chance for a while, <laughs> and I don't. I also don't know if Chris Paul, just by age, how many more chances he's going to get. Yeah, I think I think it's a unique one. Um, especially, I mean, even the Clippers, right? Like, I I think this is a unique moment for them. I think uh, we're seeing Paul George start to feel his age a little bit. So yeah. he's not able to do the dominant things he did in his earlier twenties when you know he was the Paul George that was in the conversation to be one of the better scorers in the league, right? So, you know, knowing that, knowing that Kawhi's injured again, and he, this has kind of been the story with him on and off every other year for a few years now, I think this is the close of the Clippers window as well. Yeah, it may be. I mean, but uh, what Paul George did last night is, is saying, well, not so fast, my friend. Yeah. We'll see. They might have a year or two if they, if, if they bring Kawhi back and they bring uh, Paul George back. Um, you know, we'll see. But the West is tough. West is it, so tough. The West, you just don't know what's going to happen. Everybody's going to be better. Denver's going to be better. You know, uh, Phoenix is going to be better. So it's just, you just never know. There, Who knows what happens with Dame Lillard if he goes to another Western Conference team. That also could shift the dynamic quite a bit. So it's just so much to see. But we we kind of know out East that we're dealing with about three or four real teams. Yeah. Um, and Brooklyn is just unfair when healthy. Just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's just like an all-star team. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Chauncey Billups and Jason Kidd, you know, there was some drama around them. Um, I believe both have sexual assault charges or something along those lines in their past. Is that Chauncey that does. It was dismissed. No criminal charges were pressed. Um, it's very interesting that the timing of which they brought these, things back up when he was getting a job as an analyst with ESPN and he was big shot Bob. Nobody was talking about this case that disappeared, but now that, you know, some black coaches are getting jobs as head coaches and there's this wave going on. I would, you know, I would just think that it's an important factor, right? Because you don't want something like that. But if you read the details, it's like you're making you're making a story that went away come back. Um, and yeah. it's tough for him, I'm sure. And it, I don't, Jason Kidd, I've, <laughs> I've actually had the, the displeasure of having interactions with. He's kind of a dickhead. Um, <laughs> but maybe he's grown and mature, you know? And I think what happened in his last two coaching stops um, may have positioned him now to handle this Dallas team. And I think if you look at the type of player Luka Doncic is um, and the type of player Jason Kidd was, obviously not the type of scorer that Luka is, but in terms of playmaking, understanding the game, essentially moving in slow motion and controlling 
the entire game, I think Luca's going to respond very well too. And this trend of hiring point guards um, is is something that I think is also smart. Um, hiring former great point guards as coaches because they understand the game so well, and they are the one position whose role is essentially to make everybody on the team better and not just play their role. Um, and I think it's just a it's it's a good wave. Um, obviously I don't know what happened with the Chauncey Billups situation, but if it is in his past and it's been solved and there are no criminal charges pressed, um, I think it's something that you got to kind of leave there. Right. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I totally agree, man. I mean, it's, it's interesting just to see a lot of the, the drama that's being stirred up. I mean, all the coaching changes are interesting in general and I don't know. I mean, I think it's, I think people just don't have a lot to do right now. I think that's it and the bottom line is this is why the nba is so much more interesting than the other leagues right like from a you've got the nba playoffs going on right now you get the draft lottery you get all this like coaching all this coach it's like it's a non-stop news cycle interesting news and then you got you know my favorite story of this week the scotty pippen drama you know <laughs> hey this i feel sorry for this guy you know? Yeah, I mean, dude, he's been through it all, you know. Yeah, I think you're seeing a guy that's a losing it um, a little bit, and finally just like breaking. And then the second thing is, it's very obvious he's trying to sell his book. Yeah. Um, and it's just, you know, we're seeing he's always in the headlines for saying things. He's not consistent with the things that he says, um, and it seems like he's very, very like emotional. Yeah. Um, in his handling of some of these things. Um, and it's just, it's just unfortunate because he's one of my favorite basketball players ever from yeah. a basketball standpoint. Everyone knows I'm a huge fan of the bulls, but I was just as much of a fan of Scotty Pippen. I had Scotty Pippen t-shirts. I had, I had posters of him in my room. It's just unfortunate to kind of see a guy that's that great, not just let what happened on the court. Um, let it do the talking that it needs to do. Yeah. I had yep. the uh, Shaq and Kobe posters on the wall. Oh, nice. Yeah. Bulls are before my era. I know. I know. You missed out. <laughs> did I, though? Yeah, you did. Because you could be like me and have enjoyed both eras. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but then I'd have to I'd have to add some years onto the life. Yeah. Age, you know, fine wine, brother. Fine wine. <laughs> Man, um, in Miami, we saw a building collapse. You know, Miami, the the city now building more buildings than anyone else, I think. Everyone's moving to Miami. And everyone I know who's moved to Miami has gotten down there. And they're just like, huh, maybe I oversold this thing. And they're all moving away. Everybody I know is like, huh, I'm thinking about moving back to New York. I'm moving back to San Francisco or to California or to, to Austin somewhere else yeah they'll get to austin and realize that it's it's not much better um but <laughs> you just you can't go from a tier one city to a tier two city and expect it to be a tier one city. well i think miami has this whole thing with miami you know the desantis and the mayor of miami have their fans of course um but this is what happens when you only think about trying to draw people in without thinking about how do we keep them here, yeah. right? You can build all the shiny buildings you want, 
But if your infrastructure isn't good and it's not being built with care and you're not paying attention to details and building permits aren't, the building permitting process isn't being done well um, and, and your buildings aren't being inspected properly, especially when you're building all these high rises, it goes to question whether or not you're growing responsibly or just growing to grow. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's, this building happened in a very well to do area. Everyone who lived in that building, very financially well off. And unfortunately, the last thing you expect is to spend that type of money on a condo and lose all your valuables. You know, there, I think there are over a hundred people still missing. So many people have died. Like that's not what you spend that type of money um, to receive because it's not even that old of a building. I don't think either. Yeah. I mean, just underscores, you know, rapidly built things just don't last that long. You could, no. this is a literal example of that, but you know, communities are the same way. You just can't, you can't rush the growth of something. And, you know, Miami is an amazing city. It's a great time, but it's hard to try and compete with the Bay Area or with New York just because of the, you know, centuries or decades in the Bay Area's case of infrastructure that have been laid for it to work the way it's working. It, you can't get there in a year or in like a year and a half just by setting regulations a certain way during a pandemic. Like it just takes a lot more than that to your point on infrastructure. Yep. Yeah. Yep. It's not just about the sexy. You know, mm -hmm. you have to you have to think through everything. Miami has some geographical issues that are legitimate. Like if you have a, you know, New York is an amazing place because of this. It honestly, it isn't that big of a place. Land yeah. Wise. Yeah. But their infrastructure, their public transit systems, all of that makes it conducive to that. Miami yeah. hasn't thought about any of that. Yeah. Well, and I'll say this. I mean, this is the, the, the single reason I live in L.A. that will probably keep me in SoCal. I don't sweat ever unless I go out and do like a hard workout. Just how the weather is. You know what I mean? There's no humidity. There's no none of the stuff that makes being outside uncomfortable exists. So, Partha, when are you when are you going to record your I love L.A. campaign? Uh, and send it to the city. I know, I know. I might need to need to ask for a check. To live and die in L.A., you know the Tupac, uh, famous. Tupac it's just Park. it's just so great, man. Like as a guy from Ohio who spent you know most of my life waiting to go outdoors because it was snowing or raining. My God, it is just way. Yeah, better. it's beautiful. I love Southern California. I love all. I love Northern California. Yeah, it's just that the people suck. Yeah. Know? That's yeah. that's what you have to get over. But if you if you can live in your own bubble, I'm a loner, so it's uh, it can work. Yeah, well, I think in general, like the older you get, you do you spend more time by yourself. You're less, you care a lot less about you know what society has to say. Yeah, yeah. Or even what's like I noticed this. Like I have younger friends who are way more engaged in the communities in their city. And when I say community, I don't mean like the community center, or like city hall. I don't mean that. I mean like the industry communities that exist. So like when I was younger in Atlanta, I used to go to all the startup events. I used to go to pitch competitions. I used to judge things. I used to speak at things. I was very active. The older I get, the less interest I have to do any of that because of two reasons. One, 
my perspective is far too disconnected from the new generation. So I'm not able to distill my perspective into useful information. It, it just comes across um, overly simplistic because I'm not, you know what I mean? The weight yeah. of your words doesn't sink into. Um, you're, far, you're far more practical. As you age, you become more practical. Exactly. And that too, right? It's like, what is the purpose of this, you know, ego-driven lifestyle? Like, you just want to be by yourself and journal or write or meditate or, you know, yeah, you know what I did last night? Went to the park with my friends and we threw a football and ran routes. That yeah. was awesome. Yeah. You know, there's nothing else I would rather do with my time. Yep. <laughs> yep. If you can figure out a way to live in Southern California, San Diego is my favorite city in California by far. San Diego is amazing. Um, but if you can figure out a way to get there and not have to deal with the traffic every day and not have to deal with industry people every day, you can have a happy life. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> and that is what I do. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, dude, I mean, in my industry, Miami is where the industry people have gone, if that makes sense, yeah. in startups and tech. Everyone from SF who moved to Miami, in my mind, right, is like, those are the people who moved to SF to be a part of the scene originally. So they didn't have any tie to SF. They're fine to move. Those people are the same people who will bounce to Austin, who will then bounce to New York, and they'll bounce to a bunch of places before they settle down wherever they settle down. But it's like a, it's almost like a grass is greener mindset. Like that exists to a certain extent uh, from an opportunity standpoint in bigger small cities, but there's a point where, you know, like the reactive decision during a pandemic for whether it's political reasons or whether it's like whatever emotional distress that you're like, I want to get out of here and go somewhere else. It's like to pick the place that everybody else is picking is like a groupthink decision that, you know, doesn't seem as thought out. Like that's how I always felt about the Miami thing. The thing that I don't understand also about startups, I mean, I completely understand there is going to be a transition of mass migration out of California to different places, right? That's relative to taxes. That's relative to cost of living, cost of everything. When you are a startup, it can be pretty, pretty um, overwhelming, right? Um, but the question is, are you thinking through why you're moving? Because if you're building a company, an actual company, you do need to plant roots somewhere. And to your point, I think a lot of people are fascinated with the idea of being a founder, of starting a company, but are very green to understanding what it actually takes to build and develop a company. That's why the failure rate is so high. It's not because there aren't plenty of good ideas, but that goes to kind of that lack of structured thought right? Like it depends on your industry. Like for me, I'm getting to that phase now where I'm like the next step is probably going to be the last step. But if I had, from a company standpoint, I don't understand why these people start companies in California and build a whole infrastructure there and just think on a whim, hey, things suck now. Let me move to Miami. That means that maybe your underlying business you haven't done the work that you needed to do to put yourself because you can succeed anywhere. There are companies in Omaha, Nebraska that started in Omaha that are successful there. It's not the place. It's you. Yeah. A hundred percent. And dude, like you could, you could easily go to Miami and get Airbnb for a year, right? Like yeah. wait it out during the pandemic. But 
the way that people spoke about the move to me was a little bit reactive. It just seemed like everyone moving was someone I didn't want to spend time with because of how vocal they were about the, the fact that they were moving and the reasons that they had were never real reasons. It was just like, Miami's the best. Everyone's going to Miami. It's just like, okay, but you know, why? Yeah, they've got some work to do. I mean, I love Miami and I probably, it's a, it's a freaking great town, man. Yeah. I, I will probably, and I also see the market potential there, right? Because the truth is people are moving there, but the problem that I, continue to see is i do not trust you know i think there's this sentiment and political sentiment just because it's a red state then it's lax on laws that it's better yet sometimes you need to have solid infrastructure and laws um to to develop a place and i think that's what they need to figure out that aspect of it um because it seems like, you know, it doesn't get as, as much of much noise, but for example, Fort Lauderdale is doing a great job of attracting people as well. Not the, the brick old Miami people, but it's also doing very well with migration and it's, it's basically Miami, but so is Tampa, so you is know? Tampa and Orlando. You yeah. Boca is an amazing place. If, if you're more well off to be able to spend your time. So yeah, there's a lot of, the South Florida region is a really, really nice part of the country. Um, but to your point, you do have to deal with some of the, uh, I don't know, Florida when you're not in a major city feels like the South, you know? Yeah. It feels like Mississippi when you're not in a major yeah. city. It kind of sucks. Honest. It sucks for that reason. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we shall see what, what, what happens. It's a great place. And if they figure it out, I think, it is a place now that I think um, if you are a brand or a product, because it is a culture that is kind of getting refreshed, there is a, there's a ton of opportunity there. Again, if you are willing to plant roots and actually have a logical plan and think through how am I going to create my stamp on this new culture of people, because you're dealing with people who, who have disposable income moving to the city. Um, but you got to think through that. You know, you can't just go because everyone else is moving there. Yeah, 100%. Well, one more headline and then uh, we'll take a break and hit our deep dive. Uh, Facebook won against the uh, Federal Trade Commission and 40 states on antitrust lawsuits. Uh, what, do you, what do you feel about that, V? I'm happy because my Facebook shares went up about 5% in one day. A 5% move in Facebook is pretty significant. Um, but outside of that, I think um, here is my kind of issue overall with antitrusts. And if you look back and you know when the antitrust laws were developed and why they were developed, it was to counteract the Rockefellers the Vanderbilts, who truly did have monopolies across industries, right? Um, and there was no competition. Um, Facebook and these tech companies, I think people are frustrated with them because they recognize market opportunities earlier, build them, and take advantage of them and continue to innovate. Whether it's through purchases, they continue to innovate to compete and stay on top. It is not a lack of competition or the fact that other companies can't enter the market. 
they are winning surely because they are better companies, right? Whereas we're seeing the federal government spend so much time attacking these tech companies. And I'm like, for me, I look and I sit back and these are the things that you observe in America and you know this system is is not as honest as it seems. Why aren't they spending that same energy attacking big healthcare? Why yeah. does why does the insurance company own the hospital, own the doctors, own the insurance, own the pharmaceutical companies? Why aren't you keeping that same energy and attacking them with antitrust lawsuits? Yeah. I mean it's it's all it's all political mo- maneuvering at that scale of a business. And to your point, Facebook's crime is that they're good at what they do. You know, they're forward thinking, they're innovative. Most of the plays that they've made, everyone said they bought those companies at way too high of a valuation. So even yeah. when they made the plays, the market thought they were bad decisions. They've yeah. all turned out to be wins. You know, yeah. once yeah. they turned out to all be wins, people got upset. But you didn't want to buy Instagram for over a billion. You didn't want to buy WhatsApp for whatever the heck they bought it for. Yeah. 18 billion or whatever that number was. So what is the problem with Facebook winning when they were the first ones to have the balls to do that? And they were so forward thinking and they took the risk on like to me, that's more, you know, everyone else in the market had the same opportunity many times over. Yeah. I mean, Facebook... Facebook has its issues that I that I have with in terms of like what they're doing with our data and stuff like that. But in terms of an antitrust yeah. lawsuit, that's just a bunch of bullshit. Same Even on with- the data side, you've got you know Apple making huge strides for consumer data protection. The yeah. privacy standards on iOS 14 have changed Facebook ads dramatically. Man, like yeah. I could tell you from our business standpoint, it's changed. Yeah, and we've talked about this. It's changed yeah. a core part of our strategy because of what Apple is doing. Yep, yep, yeah. And it's just like it, it's very frustrating because you also know. I feel like a lot of people just get mad at people for being successful with. Mm-hmm. And they want to be mad. And I feel like we're in a society, you see Joe Biden coming out and attacking the tech companies. They're mad because they've figured out a way. They want their money. You know, that's what this is about more than anything. Without thinking about, hey, maybe if we lose our tech innovators, like where would our country be without a company like Amazon, Apple, Facebook? You can understanding what it takes to build those companies and maintaining an environment in which those type of companies can continue to grow are worth the trade-off that you make. Yep. That's how I feel personally. I know there are different schools of thought on this, Um, but overall, you know, um, the issue is not that the country is not generating enough tax revenue. We generate more tax revenue than any other country in the world. The issue is the government and how they spend it, how they allocate it. They're the only people that are truly irresponsible with money in our country. Yep. And instead of owning it and looking in the mirror, they're always looking to find someone to put blame on or or, or squeeze more out of. Yeah, that is so well said. So, you know, and recap... Fuck the government. <laughs> By the way, I want to talk about one more thing that All I right. really I really want to throw out there before we take our break. 
we have launched at Lasso a July 4th edition sock. And it's it's this beautiful design of the American flag and it has handwriting that says we the people. You know, we we run ads for a lot of our products. So we sent an ad uh, that we wanted to launch and the ad is essentially saying um, celebrate July 4th in style with our, you know, patriotic theme sock. That's it. It got denied by Facebook for being political. They said that we can't run an ad on our America edition sock because it's a controversial topic. When the fuck did patriotism become controversial? I mean, look, man, they're trying to protect their asses, right? They don't know. They probably have some system by which anything that it's certain says certain things or has certain keywords gets shut down, right? Probably. And yeah, so you, but I mean, these systems are not, they're not dumb systems, man. It's not a blanket keyword search for America. Know. You know I what know. I mean? And what, what was there? What was the exact language? You want to hear it's, it? It's, it's pretty shocking. I'm going to pull it up. So it says your ad mentioned your ad may have been rejected because it mentions politicians or is about sensitive social issues that could influence public opinion, how people vote and may impact the outcome of a, of an election or pending legislation. And the yeah. ad says this is what the ad says. Fourth of July is almost here. Celebrate our independence with an exclusive pair of lasso socks. That is what our ad says. That's what I'm saying. It's whatever their system is, is not operating well because that doesn't have any, any of those things. Nuts, bro. That is nuts. Yeah, none of those. So you guys should dispute that. But no, we definitely disputed it. But are you kidding me? You can't even run a post with the American flag without being flagged. No pun intended. Yeah, I mean, such as such as the, uh, you know, when you when you're you you get in trouble, you become overly cautious and overly protective of things, and so Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg somehow hears this, you know, fix your algorithm so Lasso can sell more socks, please. Yeah, seriously, you know, for me, it's just it's a symptom of a bigger thing. It's a symptom of this fear of patriotism we've created, like. Flying the American flag now means you're like racist, basically. Everyone just associates patriotism with like a very warped view of what a small subsect of America is, a very racist and, you know, white supremacist subset. It's not a small subset, though. I agree with everything you said, but it's not a small subset. Man, I mean, there's there should be no world in which you can't be oh, proud. I don't, of the I don't, I, I, I don't. I don't disagree with you at all, but what has happened is that population of people is to blame for the weaponization of what the American flag actually means, right? That's a recent phenomenon is which they're, you know, make America great again means make America white again. You know what I mean? Um, that's not, to me, that's not, that's not associating any messaging with the flag that's holding the flag while you're saying a message. You can hold a flag is. while you say the opposite it, message it, and it, it would is. actually be it, more apt. It, it is. It is. But it's like this, this concept of taking 
ownership of the flag is something that has happened recently. Usually, but, those people those people used to wave Confederate flags. Yeah, right? they did, and I and they still do, and I agree with you. But the other side chooses to throw away the flag, right? Like they choose to like to push it away. And my view is it it actually is the symbol of freedom and acceptance and of a melting pot. Like that's the whole point. Uh, yeah. And I, I agree with that. I don't think they should abandon your sock. I don't disagree with patriotism, but I do think my larger philosophical thought on this is America has a lot of soul searching to do to earn um, what its claims to represent, right? Like it isn't we the people. This country is not we the people. This country is very divided. It's a two-party system. Racial issues are deep socioeconomic issues are deep. So from that standpoint, I, I, I feel like we all need to figure out and remember what this country is supposed to represent, which is all of us. Um, it's a, it's a, it was a great ambition, um, but it has not lived up to its standards. Does that mean that you just throw the messaging out? No, but it is to your point, a time where we need to start figuring out how do we fix these issues? Why do we have kind of this much division over simple things like the flag? Why have we gotten to that point? Because yeah, man, for a reason. But at at the same time, it's like I almost think it's it's a subset of people that live in that place. Uh, there's a whole another set of people that just blatantly ignore all of the bullshit going on and are very okay to hold a flag up and to be proud of the country and to also be kind to everyone around them and encourage diversity and like have the conversations about race like there's a lot of people like that that i know so yeah. you know for me it's like more about doing that proudly and letting that be the message people see and, and think about with this country but yeah i mean i i agree with you but at the same time i'm i'm disappointed that you know, we're even at a place where you have to have an Autobot to like stop you from talking about the country. Yeah, I mean, such are the times that we live in, you know, it's unfortunate, but there's no discourse or dialogue without uh, division. So it's just sad to see, but it is what it is. I still wear my old polo sport uh, clothes with the flag on it every now and again. So. Yes, sir. And speaking of division before discourse, let's uh, take a small break and we will be back with our deep dive. Deep dive today is on hacking society. Show the pilot boys some love by getting some of our exclusive merch at shop.pilotboys.com. You're listening to the pilot boys podcast. Hey, this is Partha. Not only am I a pilot boy, but I'm also the CEO of Lasso. I started Lasso to help people improve their movement on a daily basis. We design and create compression apparel that enables you to move confidently, recover safely, and ultimately be the best version of yourself. We use a patented compression technology that activates key ligaments and tendons to help you improve your proprioception, coordination, and balance on a daily basis. Lasso socks were recently ranked number one by Men's Health because of how much they improve how your body works and the overall comfort, softness, and feel of the product. We're very proud of the Lasso socks, so check them out on our website at lassogear.com or at Lasso Gear. Undo Media is proud to be the production partner for the Pilot Boys. 
Storytelling is what they do. From video production, podcasting, and consulting, Undo Media's focus is on telling your story. Find out why four Emmys and hundreds of clients will back up why you should contact Undo Media for your next project. Look them up at undomedia.com. Episode 88, Deep Dive. Let's do it, V. Go for it, Pratha. All right, today we're going to hack society. So this is like a deeper continuation of what we were talking about last week where we were, you know, tossing around the idea of of how you have strategic advantages in different cities. Um, I want to just expand that to a larger focus and essentially say that there are essentially lenses through which society views the world. And for all of us, there's certain masks we put on in different situations in society. There's a way we interact with our family. There's a way we interact with our friends. There's a way we interact professionally, et cetera, et cetera. So how do we choose the way in which we interact in any given situation? How do we choose how we come across? How do we choose our body language? How do we choose you know, the volume with which we speak, the words with, that we use, the slang that we use? And can you be intentional about changing some of that to work for your benefit? Hmm. That is a, a, a very, very interesting thought. Um, because it goes back to what we were saying a little bit earlier. It's like, the truth is that if you are in America, it is a true melting pot. Every single person that is here is an immigrant. <laughs> you know, every single yep. person. Yep. It just depends on when and how you got here. Yep. And it, the more you see different places in this world, you know that there are different cultural norms um, in different places, right? Um, and that there are also different ways that people communicate. There are different languages. All of these things play a role in how to be effective when you are in a position where you do have to deal with multiple people on multiple subsets. For example, if you are born to a first-generation immigrant family, you really, really see that. What your cultural norms are and what your parents grew up with are in complete contrast to the culture in which they are raising their children in. Um, and as a result, it puts that first-generation kid in kind of a catch-22 situation, which is, do I stay in line with the customs of my family in the previous generation, or do I adapt to the culture that I'm seeing in my classmates and the people around me? And I think the truth is to survive and succeed and thrive both from a social standpoint and a business standpoint, you've got to be willing to adapt to both um, because you've got to figure out and manage a way to have a decent relationship with your family. <laughs> you got to figure out and manage how to have friendships. And then you also need to figure out how to operate in business or in employment um, in a way in which you can succeed and thrive. Yeah. So the truth is that the reason that I think there are so many mental health issues in America is that, is that everybody is trying to put on, instead of just being their authentic selves, is trying to figure out how to adapt to the culture that they're being thrown into and the rules that they may or may not agree with. Yeah. But they have to in order for some trade-off or some gain 
they're with, it's the opportunity cost that you have to pay. And I think that that is a big reason why we have so much, so many mental health issues in America is because everyone's wearing a mask and no one is able to truly be their authentic selves. Like you get examples, like that's why we love our musicians. They usually tend to be a little eccentric and own their individuality more. You can't be a banker and have, have the personality of, of a musician, you know what I mean? Well, and I'll also say this. I think that I think that you can, but it depends on how you express it, right? Like mm-hmm. you, you mentioned the concept of code switching, essentially, like changing the way you speak in different scenarios. Yep. I think it's important that for purposes of business and trade that we are less personal, right? Because it is important to shift away from personal into more logical conversation in those settings. Um, but to your point, there's a lot of contexts in which you can't be your true self because you will be, you know, pushed out of a group or like excluded from a certain population, which you may need to be included in to thrive financially. Um, so it's almost like you have two options with any sort of interaction. You can either, uh, build harmony or you can create dissonance in any sort of social situation. So every time you create harmony, you become well-liked and you become a part of a group. But harmony would be very similar to the approach many people take, especially children of immigrants who just do what makes everybody around them happy. But to your point earlier, it reduces your individuality. It makes you very unhappy as a person and you, you know, you, you die a slow death. But um, on the other side, you have dissonance, which if you create all the time, you end up where Kanye is, where nobody wants to spend any time with you, right? That's not a good place to be either because that's the opposite end. So the question is, how can you create dissonance to preserve your authenticity in a meaningful way? And how do you message that dissonance to be non-offensive, but still assertive about the fact that you see the world differently? And at the same time, preserve a sense of harmony. And to add to that, I would say, Every time you create dissonance, it's an opportunity to be a leader in a room. And the leadership is defined by how you express your dissonance. So like if you and me are talking and you say something I disagree with and I'm just like, no, you're wrong. You're an idiot. This is actually how how you should think about it. Then I've actually lowered my value in that scenario. I've been a dick and nobody's enhanced. But if I were to say I understand where you're coming from, have you ever considered looking at it from this perspective? If you were to look at it from this other perspective, I'm suggesting with the same data you have, the conclusion would be this, which is different than you know what you drew. What do you think mm-hmm. about that? That is a method of creating dissonance that also creates harmony and creates thought leadership for the person creating the dissonance. So to me, that is a manner of communication that I've learned over the last couple of years that has served me really, really well professionally just being able to find gaps in terms of a a conversation or position something in a way somebody hasn't thought about it before, but also to do it in a kind way where I'm trying to help as opposed to trying to assert that I'm better. Like just because I see something from a different angle doesn't mean I'm better than someone who sees something from another angle. It just means my upbringing and my context walking into that scenario is a different one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that obviously took you some work to figure out, right? To find that sweet spot for yourself and yeah. find something that works. And that's what you have to do is the work. Like, I'll tell you a funny story. It's it's not by accident that I grew my hair out, you know? 
part of the reason I grew my hair out was specifically for that. And I've done this, I've done different things across time because it's like, I want to see how going from being very neutral to being looked at as, okay, this guy's an eccentric, maybe some sort of eccentric, how even the people that I know, how that could change the perception that I have. It's like a social study. I do these type of social studies all the time. Me too, by the way. <laughs> and <laughs> it's amazing, right? It's like I can sense the surprise sometimes when somebody looks at me and then we end up, even in business settings, then they actually have a conversation with me and they're like, okay, that's not what I expected based on what I saw, right? Yeah. Um, and that just goes to show you how deeply rooted and how problematic and how challenging it can be to just do what you want to do. Because even when you do what you want to do, people, everybody around you is placing you in boxes that oftentimes you may never have control over. You yeah. know, I know for a fact there might be a meeting that I go into where I could sell the shit out of it. But someone might say, but the guy looks kind of eccentric. Looks like he might be a little imbalanced. Like these are the type of things like you talk about programming that I think certain things get programmed to pe into people. And that's just a small example of it. But there are many different things. How you dress, you know, when you go into a meeting, if you wear a suit or you don't wear a suit. Like these are things that still seem to have a lot of hold, like, and even in business, right? It's like, I know for a fact, I know CEOs and people that I know, they've told me that they've got married specifically as a business decision. Not because <laughs> that's what they wanted to do, but this makes me look more stable. This makes me look a little bit different. I'm like, so that's the reason I was like, so you signed a, li a lifetime contract based on that. <laughs> that sucks. You know, I like that you pointed out appearance, though, because I think that appearance is like a really, really easy way to change how you're perceived. And yeah. it's, yeah, to your point, there's two ways to hack it. One is to find authenticity in people. So when you go really far away from the norm in, in any context, I really like that manner in social context. Um, if you show up, dress completely differently than everyone yeah. at an event. Only the real ones are going to come up and talk to you and, and get to know you. Everybody who's fake, who's surface level is going to be repelled very strongly, yeah. right? That is yeah. a great tool for figuring out who yeah. your real it's friends huge. are. It's huge. Yeah. On the professional side, there's um, a level of, uh, I would say, um, expertise or authority that you can establish by going forward in style and yeah. that's that's been something i've been experimenting with personally over the last year and a half or so is actually just about a year um i'm sitting here with a cut in my eyebrow right now right like a, a cut i just had my barber do a lot of little things like that that i've added into my style that help me to come across as somebody who is very intentional with every decision that they're making um, but when you look at the cumulative set of decisions, it's an aesthetically pleasing thing because, you know, the the jewelry plus the clothing plus 
the hair plus every part of my ensemble, shoes, everything is very intentionally curated for whatever situation or room that I'm in. Like I'm very much the opposite of um, the the kind of Zuckerberg mentality of like wear the same thing every day and like, you know, take that that load off your mind. I'm very much about like expressing myself through what I wear and how I dress and how I come across. It's why I got tattoos is, you know, partly for what you're saying, B, in the Indian community, it's not so common. So I knew if I had visible tattoos, then people wouldn't talk to me who expected me to be a conservative Indian dude, you know? Yeah. So I like wanted that, that bit of edge on myself. And I like having that edge where it can be maybe slightly intimidating at times for people who don't know me, but I kind of like it like that because it takes somebody with confidence to come up and talk to me. And that has yielded very interesting effects for my business life because it's gotten me into a lot more interesting rooms. And I get a lot of respect right off the bat because I'm willing to be very outside the box of what people expect me to look like or dress like or live like. And I think that 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 has been useful. And I've seen, you know, in L.A., the way that I do it works and is authentic to my personality, like we talked about last week. But if I were in Atlanta, for example, the the way that I expressed myself was through suits. I had a really great collection of suits. I had really great dress shirts, and I was always very forward in my shoe choice as well. I used to wear a lot of like uh, velvet loafers and stuff like that, like suede loafers as well. And those are the the little accents you add in that just help you express, you know, who you are and and, and the level that you see yourself at. Um, that can be really useful in business, which is like the opposite side of the coin from, you know, finding authenticity. It's more about establishing um, status. Yeah. I mean, if you, it, status is a key word. I think a lot of people um, do that, right? Like yeah. they, they understand what is going to generate status. That's why you can, for example, you know, everybody owns the same. I'm like, why would every, I don't, I only own a couple pairs of Jordans myself, but I'm like, I've never understood that. Right. It's like when the new Jordan, a new pair of Jordans come out and they sell out and you go out and 10 people are wearing the same shoes. Yeah. It's like, why would you want that? But I understand that it is, it's generating the same status for everyone who has a pair of them. Right. Yeah. Um, that and, is that's that's by the way an interesting one is shoes because there's so much you can go broke buying shoes you know what i mean like yeah. it's really easy and some people make a living buying and selling used shoes but it's you can get the same level of status by being tasteful in buying like for example i have a white jordan 1 all white jordan 1 i keep it clean and it looks great with the outfits i pair it with that was a hundred bucks and that's all i spent on my jordans i don't i didn't buy i have a couple more pairs actually because i like them but anyway my point is that that was all i needed to establish that same level of status right so it's not tied to how much you spend and it's not tied to wearing yeah. the coolest thing or the newest thing it's just knowing which brand is hot and how to style it into your ensemble yeah i mean it's it's fascinating how much people invest in those things for me personally because I've never had an issue dressing myself and not spending a lot of money dressing myself and still getting the same res reactions and results that people would hope for. Yeah. Right? And vintage and, is a great example of that too. The vintage yeah. movement has been a way people are able to be very stylish. It's not what you wear, it's how you wear it. 
Yeah. I think at the end of the day, it's your personality um, and finding things that align with your personality um, and then being comfortable with who you are. I don't think that I could have grown my hair out like this at 18 with where I was at at 18. You know what I mean? It does take a swagger to pull off long hair, like a certain level of confidence that takes time to build. Yeah, it does. And then you you do understand that it's not something that is universe. It's one something if you're a guy and you have long hair, it draws attention because it's out of it's it's not the normal thing, right? Yep. Um so you already know that it's an it's attention getter. You know what I mean? Um, and some of that 50% of that attention is probably good attention and 50% is probably negative, but it's fun when you know yourself and you know, your identity to put other people in that position of discomfort for me. I enjoy doing that. So, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, it's interesting like that, that discomfort that you see on people's faces. I mean, it's usually an indicator that like, that's not someone you should (laughs) spend time with anyway. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 It's a way to filter out the bullshit, man. That's, yeah. Filtering out the bullshit is is everything for me right now and uh and it's been working. So Yeah, no, I totally agree. You know, overall as as um you think about, you know, the the different things that you've tried to get success in business or to build some of the relationships you've built, what are some of the like little little things like I know for example, you you spent uh a lot of time um hosting and organizing events both in cleveland and in houston and that helps establish a lot of you know social status in a city especially cities you had had, you know you were younger in and had recently moved to how did you go about getting into that situation or were you intentional about positioning yourself through those networks in a certain way to build your relationships or did it happen organically um a lot of it happened organically it's like what happens with me is that relationships happen organically. And then from that, that's where the differentiation happens is my ideas, right? Like how do I, now that I have the relationship, how do I now utilize the relationship to create and add value, right? Mm-hmm. It's like you get the relationship by being authentic and being yourself, but instead of sitting there and asking your question, why do I have this relationship? It's immediately acting on, okay, how do I create an ad value? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And I think some of that also comes from having a natural feel and understanding. Like typically when I go to markets, tougher market, toughest market was probably New York because there's nothing new under the sun there, but in, in Houston and Cleveland, you very quickly understood, I understood in Cleveland that there were not a lot of celebrity-centric events, and the timing in which I got there was during LeBron's first run. So more time, more than any other time, you would see people, when I'd go out to eat, I'd see Jay-Z in the restaurant. I'd see, because every Cavs game, somebody was coming into town Mm. to see LeBron play. And so I was like, okay, that's, that's not being done here. That was being done in New York at the time, but not in Cleveland. So the opportunity, I had the relationship with the players, created the opportunities um, through that. And then once you create the opportunity, once you control an environment, and this is why social and social status is so important. Once you control an environment, everybody 
if you want to talk to someone, they have to talk to you. Mm. Yeah. So I was never thinking about the parties and events like I'm just trying to throw parties and be the coolest guy in the room. I was doing it very intentionally to build relationships that I could go and leverage into other things um, that I was trying to do or work on. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. No, it makes a ton of sense. But I think that underscores like a, a huge part of this conversation, which is that there's certain things that happen for you naturally, but you can also position yourselves in those situations that are happening naturally in a position of authority and then leverage that to, you know, go from A to B. And in your context, that was being the guy who is organizing a lot of the stuff that everybody needs to know to know what's going on whether you're a celebrity or an athlete or whether you're, you know, a highly influential person who wants to be in the room, you're the guy that everybody needs to know. And by being yourself and cool and authentic and not losing that honest like version of you, you built real relationships because you needed the hook. Like that's what all of this is about is like establishing a hook that makes somebody interested in wanting to know who you are and building a relationship. A lot of the time it has to be a level of influence or power in a context for that hook to be meaningful to somebody else who's extremely influential or powerful. Otherwise, there's little reason for them to interact other than, you know, the unique, pure personal relationships. Like I have a, a couple celebrities that I have built very, very close personal relationships with, but that has yeah. nothing to do with their fame. It has nothing to do with status. It has everything to do with the fact that we see the world the same way. Mm -hmm. We met met through business, but realized we had far more in common than we realized personally, and that built a great foundation. And like that, to me, is a different thing than what we're talking about. That's chance. That's like meeting somebody and becoming friends. That is not like a thing that you can game in life. That that is just only the organic stuff. And you know, ironically, that's the stuff that really I think stays long term. That's the stuff that really like makes you wealth is building real relationships with really amazing people but you have to meet those people through getting yourself into rooms and that requires that status or something and i think it's you know to underscore your point i think to to summarize it it's are you spending your time trying to fit in or are you spending your time to craft a nar narrative around who you are and, and, and an ecosystem around you that is built on who you are versus trying to fit into everybody else's ecosystem. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Great and, way to put it. And that's, that is in terms of identity and happiness and security. If you are dictating the environment around you and you spend the time to build that, then you'll spend a lot less time being insecure and worried about some of these other things because you built it. You know what I mean? Yeah. You built it through your vision. You yeah. Um, and I think that that's, that's something as, as you are going from high school to college and I think a lot of people spend a lot of their formative years, especially that transition. It starts in high school, you know, trying to be one of the cool kids or whatever group you're labeled into, but then you get into college. And I think a lot of people spend a lot of time trying to figure out where they fit in um, versus thinking about it the other way, which is how do I find my tribe? How do yeah. I find um, the people that, that fit with who I am? Yeah. 
that's a you know that's a very powerful way you said it um i think that that's the closing note of this whole this whole chapter is like when you are looking to build success in society there's this element of building a narrative around yourself that is illustrated by your behavior the way you carry yourself what you wear how you position yourself digitally your digital everything all of that ties into uh as we would say the mask we wear for society but you can be very intentional in constructing that without losing your authenticity so that that mask acts as a hook to get people interested in meeting you and that narrative you build around you acts as a hook and when people meet you they get the real you they don't get that bullshit that Mm -hmm. bullshit is for that's how you structure you know the mask right and there's still authenticity that goes into that but it's it's just getting comfortable with sharing certain things like i share every news article or most news articles that we're in right but that to me feels douchey at times but i still do it because it's important for me to let people know what's going on in my life that's how people know that i'm building that i'm getting more and more successful that they want to like keep an eye on me and know what's going on so that's the hook but if you maintain the authenticity, you give yourself the opportunity to build real relationships that turn into real deep friendships. And that's where the happiness of life is, is like the, the first part of it is empty if you do that forever. And that's what a lot of people get stuck in. But when you meet people along the way that are genuine and honest and real, there's nothing better than that. Yeah, exactly. And if you're leading relationships, and that's the last thing I'll say, and if you're leading into relationships, thinking about first and foremost, what this person can potentially do for me versus thinking about, does this person, is this person on the same wavelength as me first? You're not going to get to that second part. And that's where I think a lot of people, I've met a lot of really highly successful people, but I've engaged with them. And I was like, I don't really fuck with this person. Yeah. And so I don't care how powerful they are. I'm able to say, okay, this isn't this isn't a situation that's worth going further with. You yeah. know what I mean? It's also a sign of maturity when you meet somebody else like that. You know, yeah. it's a it's a way to grow. Like I, you know, with this conversation continues, but you know, we'll probably need to wrap this soon. But yeah, I do yeah, I do want to add. I mean, I think about it with our fundraising process a lot because when I started, it was always me pitching to investors. And the older I've gotten, the more I've realized to your point B, it's about connecting and figuring out if we see the world the same way before I even talk about the business. It's about understanding their views on the world and politics and, you know, the environment and businesses and different business philosophies. Like that's, that's the real nuts and bolts of what you care about is who is this person and what do they believe and in which direction are they oriented? That's more valuable than, um, you know, what they can do for you because that's very transient. Yes. Yes. Great conversation as always, man. Ooh, episode 88, man, coming to a close. Yes, yes. Definitely remember to stay moving. Be you. You is fly. Pilot Boys out. Pilot Boys, we get on my-